Welcome to the program. Piers Cunningham with you and today I'm joined by Georgie Crozier who's the Shadow Minister for Health and the Deputy Leader of the Legislative Council. Good morning Georgie. Good morning Piers, nice to be with you. Look a few things to talk about today and I know that your background is nursing and I just wanted to ask you straight away given that we're opening up we're accepting that Delta is here to stay, that we're not going for the, an elimination policy or elimination target anymore. What's your take on our ability for our hospital system to withstand Delta in, in terms of beds and ICU facilities, that sort of thing? Well, we've got a, a great health system here in Victoria um, and, you know, one that I've, been, I've worked in, in in past times as a former nurse and a former midwife, but obviously... COVID has put extra pressure on it and it's it's really showing up that our health system has been underinvested, had an underinvestment for many, many years and it's really struggling. And what we've seen is from the government is promises. Last April, 16 months ago, they promised to have 4,000 intensive care unit beds ready, prepared for a... Um, a COVID wave, where we're, we are in our third wave and we have nowhere near the 4,000 intensive care unit beds. And of course, Piers, when you say that, you've got to have the personnel that can actually staff those beds. And so I'm very disappointed in the government's promises and, and the words that they're using that I think has given uh, false hope to many people and it's put pressure on our health services and the, the doctors and nurses and everybody working in our hospitals that are doing so much and they're doing an extraordinary job. Um, but it's putting real pressure on our health system at, at present. Do you know how many new ICU beds have been added since the pandemic began? Well, I've been asking this question since February of last year. And the numbers keep going up and down. So I could never get a figure. And then it came to around 500 uh, across the state. Um, they couldn't tell me how many were in the public system, how many were in the private system. But what we learned on Tuesday, last Tuesday, was that we have 574 operating right. um, in the state now. So that's well short of 4,000. <laughs> and, and I understand that the government is trying to gear up and down with respirators and using space, utilising space in hospitals. But that's very different from what they promised 16 months ago. Yeah, there'd be a lot of people who'd be pretty concerned about that, especially because of Delta and, and this obviously wasn't what they were hoping to do. They got in early with this last outbreak and um, tried to lock down hard and go early and compared themselves with New South Wales and made out, look look how, you know, how smart we are for, for acting so early to lock everyone down. And yet we've got this uncontrolled wave. What, what do you think of the underlying reasons behind that? I mean, is it it's just it's just the nature of the virus? Uh, I mean, it happens to be in certain parts of Melbourne. Why do you think it is in those parts of Melbourne? Well, frankly, I don't think we got rid of Delta when the Premier and uh, Dr Sutton said we had in lockdown five because they announced that on 27th of July and the next day we had the, you know, the lollipop man that tested positive. Mm. Um, so I don't think we ever got rid of it. But right. that being said, we know that the, this variant of COVID is particularly uh, much more transmissible. We know that. Mm. And it's very difficult. It's it's a virus. So it's going to move around as um, you'd understand. I think everybody understands that. What I think the problem is here is there's been a lack of a focus on the 
vulnerable areas. We knew the virus broke out last year in particular areas Mm. and my criticism has been of the government. There's been no campaign on the ground about the importance of getting vaccinated there's been uh, there's been huge hesitancy, and I understand there's been hesitancy across the community actually, mm. because of the confusion um, at all levels of government and the changing positions. I understand that, but what we've seen in the UK with their uptake of AstraZeneca, just no complaints. They didn't complain about the the vaccine that they were getting. It was just get the vaccine, and they were able to you know manage the spread far more effectively. Mm and have been opening up, working with the the virus, if you like, or managing the virus. But So I I think the government has taken too much much emphasis on trying to uh, go to that COVID zero position, which I think was completely unrealistic, uh, always has been, because we know the virus will come in. It, It will escape from hotel quarantine. It will be coming through across borders like we've seen. Mm. So it was very difficult to to um, eliminate. And I think that was a part of the reason people are tired of being in lockdown. The compliance is wearing. And for those reasons, we, we've seen that. We've seen the reports of the non-compliance in certain areas where the virus is more active than in other areas. Mm. So do you think that same logic applies to Queensland and Western Australia and, and, and other states in Australia that are, that have still pursuing elimination well i don't think you can eliminate the virus i just think it's it's completely unrealistic to think you can eliminate this virus when you've got trade coming into the country you've got our international travel i think we did a great job in terms of shutting the borders to prepare our health system last year to get you know to help stop what was happening around the world but you're always going to have outbreaks And if you can manage those outbreaks, which I think is part of the management, we need to be able to manage the outbreaks. And that is partly preparation of our our health system. And, of course, this year we have got vaccines. Mm. We didn't have that last year Mm. when this virus hit our shores. Mm. So we are far better prepared in terms of our testing capacity. But vaccines have really changed the game in terms of uh, assisting people from well, you'll still transmit the disease, you'll still get the disease, but you won't get as sick and the deaths won't occur like an unvaccinated population. Georgie, why is it that pharmacies and GPs seem to have been neglected in terms of the government's messaging about, you know, where to get vaccinated? Yes, Chris, I've been critical of that as well because we know that GPs have been doing the heavy lifting of vaccination since the start of the rollout that was agreed national cabinet with the the phased process that they wanted those essential workers and the vulnerable to get vaccinated first that was with the the vaccine that we had it was complicated because the international supply i won't go into that argument i think we're all aware of that but the gps have been doing the heavy lifting and then we finally got pharmacists on board they were accredited to do astrazeneca jabs um But in Victoria, it was much slower than the rollout in New South Wales, for instance. And they had, well, I think the New South Wales government have done well, has put pharmacies, uh, put their rollout weeks before we have in Victoria, especially in those hotspots that they were seeing. And that gives people a greater ability to communicate with their pharmacy. They feel safe. They know know their pharmacists. Mm. You've got that grassroots ability 
to get the vaccination at a pharmacy and, of course, your GP. But the state government, up until just last week, actually, have always concentrated on the state hubs, promoting the state hubs, which are doing a terrific job as well. But they've never spoken about, yes, the state hubs are there and working, but please, we've got pharmacies on the ground, we've got your GPs, please utilise all of the services that are there to provide a vaccine to you. Mm. And what do you make of, you know, we're just talking about New South Wales and, and they seem to be mindful that people want to, the public wants to have a, and business wants a, a, a roadmap, if you like, of the way to get out of this and the way to open up and the way to live with COVID. And yet we seem to, you know, the only thing that's being dangled as a carrot for Victorians and Melburnians in particular is that you might get an extra, instead of 5Ks, you'll get 10Ks limit of travel and you might be able to exercise for two hours instead of one hour. It just seems a different approach. It seems like, um, uh, I don't know, lack of imagination or lack of understanding of the way people feel at this stage after nearly eight months of lockdown in Melbourne. Well, I think what all Victorians want is hope. We just want hope. We want to see that plan. We want to see that roadmap. Hmm. Businesses, you mentioned, Pierce, have just done it tougher than anywhere in Victoria and Melbourne, hmm. have done it tougher than anywhere else around Australia. And that's because we have been in lockdown for the period that we have. I mean, we are heading towards being locked down for the longest anywhere in the world. Wow. I mean, that is just extraordinary. And we need to give those businesses hope that we are coming out of that and we've got a plan for you. And I think New South Wales is doing that to their community. They're giving them some positive says They're saying, look, we know this is an enormous challenge. It is going to be incredibly difficult for our health services, but we we feel that they are they can manage. It will be very tough but we need our businesses to operate and we need people to be able to, once we get to those vaccination points, which they are much further ahead than us, and by the way, they are doing much more testing so they can they can actually identify where the cases are. They're double the testing rate of Victorians, so that's another issue. But they're giving their community, you know, some something to look forward to, some hope and, and reassuring them, yes, this is going to be challenging, but we're going to be opening up gradually whereas as you said correctly in victoria it is in a week next week or the week after if we get to that point that the government has said we'll be having an extra hour exercise and we can go 10ks well our families are still separated our kids are not going back to school and our businesses are still not opening mm. and that is what is incredibly i think demoralizing for victorians and we need a better way we need more hope and we need the government to be promoting that and saying, look, we know that it's tough. We all understand that, but we are working towards that and these are the time frames. At the moment, it's still too uncertain and I think because we've had so many falsehoods, if you like, it's short, sharp, we'll get on top of this. We don't want to be like New South Wales. Mm. People are worn down. They don't, they're not sort of listening anymore and they're really concerned about their futures and their kids' futures Indeed. Um, talking with Shadow Minister for Health and Deputy Leader of the Legislative Council in Victoria, Georgie Crozier. Georgie, what do you think of rapid antigen testing? It's been already used in, in New South Wales. There seems resistance from the Victorian government. It's not as reliable or accurate as PCR testing, which is the gold standard, but you can get a result in under half an hour. 
Well, again, Pierce, this is something I've been calling on for months. Rapid antigen testing or rapid testing has been used around the world. We've seen that through the recent meetings of world leaders at the G7. They were all being rapid test. I've been speaking to companies here in Australia who are last year, last October actually, who are supplying the US Defence Force and US Airlines to be able to rapid test. Their economies are opening up. They've got lots of virus, but they're testing it. It's a bit like a, a pregnancy test. It's a screening tool. But some of the rapid testing is very accurate. It's up to 95% plus. Mm. So you're getting a very good result. You're getting a very quick result that can determine um, your status, if you like. And then, of course, if that's then highlighted, you can go off and have that PCR test. Now, I've been arguing we should be rapid testing not only in our high-risk um, industry areas where some are doing and in New South Wales are doing it far more. In fact, they've, they've gone out and ordered rapid testing to, to be rolled out further in New South Wales, but in our in our health system, which the, the Victorian government is slowly bringing on board, but I cannot for the life of me understand why the Premier has been so dismissive of it, dis- dismissing our calls to have rapid testing, but it is happening. And the TLC group of aged care have taken a fabulous stance, and I want to congratulate their, their leadership in this. They are rapid testing all their staff and their visitors to allow that connection with families. I think that's incredibly important. There's been so much distress and sadness and just that separation from people in aged care facilities not seeing their loved ones, in hospitals not being able to see their loved ones for weeks and months on end. This is a simple tool. And, of course, then we've got the issue around furloughing our health workers. If they were rapid test or patients a rapid test, we'd have a far better idea all those staff would need to be furloughed like they are. It's good for picking up people with high viral load, isn't it? So people are not aware that they're sick, but they've still got high viral load. So potential super spreaders, they're the ones who the test is most accurate to find? Well, that's right. So it will detect those, but it's a screening tool and it it allows you to pick up that and then it will go and have a a PCR. At least you have identified Mm. that you've got a positive rapid antigen test here Mm. you need to go and get a pcr and do the right things so that you're not as you say potentially walking around and just imagine Pierce, if we had it we could have our events industry opening up we could have businesses opening up i've mentioned the benefits to our health care services but there are so many applications and it is happening around the world so i just don't understand what the hesitancy is yeah. here in Victoria yeah. and why the Premier is so stubborn on this. And why not, if you've got the benefit of, of learning from countries that have had huge waves of the disease to deal with and, and you know, obviously they've had in some cases much, much higher death toll and Australia's still lucky in that respect. But surely you, you'd see them as a, a great opportunity to learn what they've done and to study how their response evolved over time. Indeed, and I think that's, if you look around the world, and we understand this virus is here and it will evolve. There'll be another variant and we'll have to manage that. But we can't be in lockdown forever. Mm. We can't keep going like this. So there's got to be, you know, this technology that's available there. We can use it. I mean, Piers, we've got thousands of Victorians stranded over the borders in New South Wales who are becoming destitute in caravan parks, for heaven's sake. They can't Mm. return home. Mm. They should be rapid tested, monitored, isolating in their own homes and we should be bringing them home. They're stuck. They've been stuck for months. Mm. This is the insanity of what is going on. 
there's just no common sense applied. If we had rapid testing and using this technology, we could bring those people home. And there's just so many applications that could apply that would make people's lives much, much better. Mm. And that's why I think we've we've got to bring it in. And uh, there are some terrific companies here in Melbourne. I've been speaking to them. You know, the trial yesterday at the Royal Children's Hospital with Rhinomed, fantastic initiative. So many applications, and that's what I'm excited about, and I think the government needs to get on board. Georgie, so you've got a new leader, Matthew Guy, now that happened earlier this week. What's going to be different from the Liberals now that you've got new leadership? Well, we want to be a voice for those people that feel abandoned, Pierce, and there is many, whether it's families or businesses. All of those Victorians who just feel that they have been abandoned, we want to give them hope. We want to give them a positive agenda. And that's what really what Matthew's message has been this week. It is about we are here to give you a a voice, to give you hope, to say that we're on the side of you. We want your kids back in school. We want your businesses open. We want you to understand that, you know, there will be pressures and we need to be working all through those. But it's really about some common sense things give us release all the health advice where i've been saying that for many months mm-hmm. victorians deserve to understand exactly why these decisions are being made mm-hmm. not just the orders we get those why the decisions are being made so we don't think uh for instance that the curfew where is the where is the evidence around a curfew the restrictions on our liberties are, are very have, have been very important in this whole pandemic uh, throughout this pandemic crisis Um, but we are democracy and we think that the health advice on playgrounds or curfews or whatever it should be released to the public so we'd say that so we want to be more open and we want to be more transparent we want to use rapid antigen testing as i said as a way to get events and businesses open to get our schools open to get our hospitals Mm. reconnect with families and put a common sense approach if there is an outbreak we're not going to open up a school where there's a hotspot, but for heaven's sake, we've got schools in Malakuta that there's no virus within Kui, mm. and they're having the same rules and restrictions applied to something in in the hotspots of Western Melbourne. It's mm. it's nonsensical, and we have to have a far more nuanced approach. And that's what really what Matthew is saying in terms of of our approach and where we want to head over the next few months. It's giving people a Real hope talking about a positive agenda rather than uh, some of this negative stuff that I've just been talking to you for the last little while. Yeah. Thank you for giving me that answer and, and your time this morning. And I'll let you go very shortly, Georgie. Just one quick question. You may have heard that the Mornington Peninsula, the mayor down here, wrote a letter, an open letter to the Premier and was asking or, you know, really pleading for the Mornington Peninsula to be considered regional because of the the fact that there there was quite low numbers down on the peninsula. And there's also quite a high vaccination rate down here. This is going to be aired on a on Artable PFM, which is a local radio station from Mornington. I'm sure there's lots of people who'd be interested to hear what your views are on, on whether the peninsula could be considered regional. Well, we've been talking about this. Edward O'Donoghue, my colleague, has been very vocal in the parliament asking questions about this. He has said, you know, why is the Mornington Peninsula in lockdown like Western Melbourne when you've got Geelong that is deemed to be regional Victoria much closer to those hotspots? So, again, the common sense isn't applied here. So 
Ed has done a, an enormous job on this, really going to bat for the residents and communities of the Mornington Peninsula, highlighting exactly those issues that you've just raised because there can be a better way for the Mornington Peninsula who, as you've highlighted, have got a higher vaccination rate, rapid testing, all of those things we've just spoken about. Why are we locking these communities in this blanket rule that the government keeps supplying mm. across the board? It doesn't make sense and it's only damaging the social fabric, the economic fabric. We know that mental health is an enormous issue mm. with not only our kids but also those families who are struggling, who've lost their lives and livelihoods. Mm. It's an enormous issue, and I think that's what we're saying. We've got to have a far more nuanced approach, Pierce, and that's one of the things why Ed has been ex saying exactly that. Why is, why is Mornington Peninsula in the Greater Melbourne area when there's very little virus? I guess what you're saying with this idea of a nuanced response is that if you have to have a lockdown, and this could even apply once we've opened up and we've got to the vaccination levels that we want to have to open up, there still could be outbreaks, whether it's the Delta variant or a future variant that may be more infectious, that those lockdowns could be much, much more targeted, smaller areas done faster, more surgical on a smaller scale where required. I presume that's, what, that's part of what you're talking about with a nuanced response. Exactly. So if there was an outbreak down in Flinders and it, you know, started to rage around the Mornington Peninsula, then you would say, that is a hotspot. We need to lock you down. You know, we might need to shut the schools in those areas. Whereas why are you applying that in the east of Melbourne, where there's up in the, up in the Dandenongs, where there is no virus? Right. So it's, it's looking at, at that and it's not easy. It's challenging because the way the virus moves... But you can't keep the state locked down, this blanket approach. The hard and fast lockdown has not worked. We've seen that through the nature of Delta. Mm. So let's park that, government. You should acknowledge that and say we need to be managing it. And yes, the vaccination rates are critically important, but so are these nuanced approaches so that we can have a far, far better way of, of getting on and, and managing what we're dealing with because it's the virus isn't going away Pierce. it's here for years if not decades if not forever mm. all right well look thank you very much georgie crozier shadow minister for health and deputy leader of the legislative council really appreciate your time thank you Pierce.